JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Please welcome in Joel Erickson, Colts insider for the Indy Star, joining us here on the show. You know, I, I, I'm torn here, Joel, because Lamb of God in the background, I'm almost thinking, like, don't ask metal questions. Don't ask metal questions. And I can't help. Where are you on the metal scale there? Are you a fan or are you a non-fan? Uh, I'm a non-fan. I had a, uh, I had a metal phase when I was playing linebacker for Stanley Boyd High School back in the day, but I have, I have <laughs> since gotten out of that. Can you remember the go-to bands of that metal phase when you're playing backer back in the day? Oh, it's, it's all of the stuff that you'd expect from, like, the late 90s, and it might not quite classify as metal. It was definitely the hard rock genre. Like, you know, like, anything that involved, like, let the bodies hit the floor or something like that. Yeah. Like, that was all in uh, – um, that was all, all, all on that playlist. That's funny, man. That's great. Now I did read on your, your X bio. It sounds so weird to say that Twitter slash X bio. You're a golden doodle owner. And this yeah. is my curious mind. I, I'm curious what the dog's name is. Any fun facts you could share about the pooch here? Well, the dog's name is Yelly. Uh, named in honor of Christian Yelich. Uh, I think most radio, most most fan listeners know, thanks to Kevin Bellin, that I'm, I'm a pretty big Brewers fan. So uh, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, that, that was that was the name negotiated with uh, negotiated with my sons. They uh, they they weren't they weren't big fans of Jenkins for some reason. Okay, <laughs> um, which which would have been a reference to Jeff Jenkins from back in the day, but. Uh, no, that's they, they great. Uh, and what about uh, what about Yelly? Is uh, unique. Uh, he's 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 a pretty typical golden doodle. I mean, he's he's fifty fifty. I, I I try to keep as much retriever in there as possible. I used to have a golden retriever. That was our first dog. Um, my wife did not like the shedding of the golden retrievers. Ah, um, uh, yeah. So we ended up with the doodle, and my compromise was I wanted the fifty-fifty. I didn't want, you know, one of the seventy-five twenty-fives or something like that. So, yeah, he's he's a he's a good dog. Um, really, really, really good dog. Re- really, really good dog. Really great with the kids. Um, and uh, it, and he, he's he's tough to get toys for because if he uh, anything anything shy of like. He's going to chew through to get the get the squeaker. So there's a shelf life on toys at our house. <laughs> By the way, one final goofy question. I just have to ask this, and uh, we'll get to the Colts here. 
I'm just looking at baseball reference, and it's got some great brewers at the top, right, where like Robin Young and Paul Molitor, on and on and on. And then I kid you not, I get to Christian Yelich. Almost everybody's wearing a brewer's ball cap. Except Yelich, he's still in his Marlins gear. What's up with this? Come on, uh, baseball reference got to get their act together. Yeah, that's 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 a mistake at this point. I mean, we're we're <laughs> seven years we're seven years into this thing. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to as as a as a very fond immaculate grid player. Uh, there's there's a lot of guys on there who have some weird hats, but you gotta you gotta at least fix like the like staples of a franchise. Yeah, absolutely, you do. Okay, so. Looking at the Colts, tomorrow teams can go in on the, the franchise or transition tags. How surprised would you be if the Colts didn't place the tag on Michael Pittman Jr.? Uh, I, I would be surprised. Uh, I would be surprised, especially with a player who has said openly that he'd like to see what's out there. Um, it, it's a market where teams are willing to pay a ton of money. Like, you know, going into free agency – that you're not, he's not going to look around and, and be disappointed with what he's going to get. That's just not, that's just not the wide receiver position now. Um, they haven't done it since 2013, which is actually the, the second longest franchise tag drought in the NFL. Uh, but they, they've generally locked up those guys before they get there. This is the first time that one of them has gotten there. It, I just think the risk of losing him with, with Anthony Richardson there and already already a numbers issue and a depth issue at wide receiver is, is too great. I think you have to place the tag on him. What do you think? It's a tough question, man, because uh, it's a bit of a guessing game because I just think about Michael Pittman Jr. He knows his market. He knows his worth with this team and Anthony Richardson coming back. They got to have him. So do you think that they hammer out a long-term extension or do you think he might play this season on the franchise tag? I I keep thinking that what's going to happen is that they're going to eventually sign him to a long-term extension. I, I don't know when that is. I don't know if there's some some franchise tag shenanigans that go on in there, um, which are often, I think, probably portrayed as a little more acrimonious than maybe they actually are. I think a lot of players, especially Pittman, Pittman kind of indicated at the end of the season, he kind of understands how this franchise tag thing works. Um, but I still think that ultimately the, the need is too great. Like usually, usually if a team is going to move on from a player like this, it's in a situation where either you feel um, like you have somebody there ready to, to take over and, and fill the spot, or it's a situation like, you know, with Kansas City and Green Bay letting go of Tyreek Hill and, De- and Devontae Adams. That was – that was because they believed their quarterback was good enough to play with something less than one of the best receivers in the, in the NFL. They could save some money there. They, we don't know that about Anthony Richardson yet. The Colts don't know that about Anthony Richardson yet. And his development is so important. I, I, just, I just can't imagine. It, if, if you let Michael Pittman Jr. hit free agency and potentially walk, you pretty much have to sign T. Higgins, which is a, mm. that's a, that's a risky place to be. Yeah, that's really risky. What do you think Pittman Jr.'s market would be like if, like, let's just suspend reality for a second, and let's say he is on the open market. What do you think that – would he be in high demand on the open market? Yeah, I, I think I think he'd be – the lesson of the, of the wide receiver market the last however many years is that 
um, it's going to be bigger than you'd expect. And the top eight guys, I think, are making more than $23 million in average annual value. A lot of those a lot of guys are also in the 20 – I think there's another five or so in the $20 million a year range. I, I think his asking price probably starts at 23 and I think that you could probably get it um, from somebody. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's a position where the market is skyrocketing, and that it, there's not really any reason for it to go the other way at any point because teams, teams have need of receiver, and if you don't have – if you're not the Chiefs, who may never give Patrick Mahomes a wide receiver ever again, uh, you know, I, I think teams value that position quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, talking to Joel Erickson here from the Indy Star on the fan. How about beyond Pittman Jr.? When you look at this offseason and uh, the combine's right around the corner, uh, no, no pun here. I wasn't going for the cheap joke here, but speaking of corner, right? Like, when you look at quarterbacks, is that top of the list for you in terms of the wish list or do you go with another position uh i think i think ultimately cornerback is is the one uh the the biggest need um they've got a it's defensive back in general but the safety position is a little bit more is a little bit more uh it's a little bit harder to 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 handicap because they do have two young guys who have some starting experience and if they bring Julian Blackman back, that's three guys for what's essentially two spots of playing time. Cornerback, I think we've seen they you, you've got to have a bunch given some of the injury history, and they, there's just some there's some injury questions around some of these guys. You know, Dallas Flowers is coming off of an Achilles tendon. Typically, that injury a player doesn't regain their full. They, they can play, but they don't re- regain their full explosiveness until the year after, until two years, you know, until a year into the recovery. Um, so the next season would be the next one. Juju Brent's had injury issues. Jalen Jones was good, but you know that there there have been a lot of rookies who've had good seasons and then fallen off. You just I just don't think you can count on. Um, I think you need to add more competition there. You'd like to have some experience there. You know, if you're going to bring Gus Bradley back and state as the reason that you didn't give them give him enough help in the secondary, well, you have to address that in the off season. You know, we always talk about with the draft, do you go best available? Do you address the biggest need? That sort of thing. Do you think that the need the Colts have at corner is great enough where you would prefer that they address that need instead of taking what might be the best player on the board at the time? Would you go in that direction potentially? Uh, No, not in the first round. I mean, it depends on who the best player on the board is at the time, but there's there's a chance with this draft, with so much quarterback and wide receiver and tackle need, that there that there's a ton of offensive players going off the board in the first ten picks, pushing defensive players down. And I think if you get, if you have somebody with a really high grade, I think if you have somebody with a really really high grade, I think you probably, I think you probably make that pick no matter what. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. Uh, I, I hear kids in the background, Joel. What's going on over here? We got a crisis well, situation. I, I am picking up. I am picking up my son Watley from daycare. <laughs> nice. So, who's older? Mm-hmm. Is it Watley or Yelly? Uh, Yelly is older. Yelly is older. Okay. Yelly is older. Yes. Uh, it, does Yelly have some years? Are we talking like a baby face situation? Who sang the anthem <laughs> before the All Star game? What are we talking about for Yelly here? Uh. Watley is Watley's one, and 
Yelly, Yelly's two or three now. Three, I think. Coming up on three. Okay. Oh, young buck over there, Yelly. Very yeah. nice. And then I've got I've got the two. I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old too, but they they are not at daycare. Obviously, they they had President's Day off. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, man. Absolutely. Um, one more. We'll get you out of here on this one, Joel. Uh, with the combine coming up, what do you have your eye on most? With obviously the Colts in mind. Well, the combine is when a lot of free agent decisions start to happen, and a lot of like conversations start to happen. And I'm curious if we start to hear some movement. I actually don't think that we're going to have a Michael Pittman decision. Um, before that, teams tend to wait till closer to the deadline. I'd be surprised if it was like in the next couple of days that they do a tag. So that'll probably still be going on. They'll meet with definitely some of these other guys, Kenny Moore, Grover Stewart, some of these other guys that they have here, uh, Julian Blackman. They'll meet with those agents, and they have in the past – re-sign some guys in that window between the combine and the start of free agency. So I'm kind of looking at the combine. I know everyone's going to be focused on the draft prospects. And I think that that's definitely obvious. And if you, especially if you like the draft, you like to figure out which prospects you like the most, definitely go ahead and do that. But for me going into it, I'm thinking about, you know, Hey, what, what does this mean for free agency? Can they keep a couple of these guys? from hitting the market, either by the franchise tag or just be by re-signing them outright. Yeah. All right, Joel. Well, hey, man, thanks for the time. Hope you have a good evening. We'll catch you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for having me on. Watley likes to – every time Every time I have to get in, he always makes an appearance on the radio. He must be, <laughs> That's awesome. You have a good evening, too, Watley. Appreciate that. He's, 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 gutting, he's gutting for a radio gig sometime in the future. <laughs> Very nice. I'll give some advice. Um, what would be my radio advice? Uh, let's see. Um, play to the crowd and uh, blast someone every now and then, you know, for dramatic no, effect. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's the go. playbook okay. right there. There you go. All okay. right, Joel, catch you later, bud. Yep, we'll see ya. Very nice. There he is, Joel Erickson, Colts insider for the Indy Star. Evan Sidery joins us here on the fan, covers the NBA for Forbes Sports. Okay, on a, sta- a scale from 1 to 10, Evan, 10 being I'm in the mosh pit throwing elbows. You know, I'm such a metal fan. Where are you on the metal scale? Unfortunately, guys, I would say I'm probably between a 1 or a 2. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're maybe in between a 1 or a 2. That is spectacular. I love that. Not the yeah, biggest fan. Yeah. So what, what's the go-to for you, Evan? Um, I'd say I'm more of a classic rock kind of guy or a classic hip hop kind of guy, to be honest. Okay, classic rock, classic hip hop. What are some of the uh, the bands, the artists that you get down with? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm really all over the board here. So like 80s, uh, 90s, even like the newer stuff like Drake, Kendrick Lamar. I'm really all over the board there, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, so we're we talking like uh, I don't know. I'm thinking like Leonard Skinnerd. Uh, is it like uh, the Eagles? What is it? Classic rock for you? I'm curious. Yeah, Leonard Skinnerd. I would definitely say Queen is up there too. Uh, really, whatever my dad was playing me growing up uh, probably is is in my portfolio there. So Queen, Leonard Skinnerd, uh, maybe a little bit of Kiss mixed in there as well. Okay, yeah, I like it. I like what you're working with. Let's let's just work in a little bit of Slayer from time to time, and I, I think the portfolio is complete, at least in my estimation, Evan. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally open to it. If you, I mean, next time I come on here, I'll make sure uh, to get that get that in the mix for you. I love the idea of, you know, Brian, I took your advice. I listened to Rain in Blood. I got to tell you, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you were there for the All-Star game. Were you there for All-Star Saturday as well, Evan? I was, yeah. It was definitely a different atmosphere, uh, especially when you have it in a football stadium compared to a Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Fun atmosphere for sure. The court was different. I would definitely say, I mean, we'll get into it, I imagine, but I would definitely say All-Star Saturday Night needs a little bit of a face-up. Same with the All-Star game. I, I, I love the energy that the local fans brought there, but I think the NBA event itself kind of needs a little bit of a facelift here. What would you suggest? I would say get rid of the dunk contest. That's the first thing. I, wow. I, know, it's, I, I know it was a fun event with Mac McClung, but I feel like the energy in the building wasn't great for that and i think kind of to be honest i think a general nba fan has seen almost every single dunk possible out there i know when jacob toppin did that crazy dunk Obi toppin's brother only got a 46 and a half score there there wasn't really much energy there mac mcclung same thing a couple dunks here and there got the energy up a little bit in lucasola stadium but i feel like a lot of general nba fans have seen exactly what the historic dunks are from vince carter back in 2000 from fred jones did it back in 2004 Michael Jordan, when he was in Indianapolis, did the dunk contest way back when. I think we've seen almost every dunk in the book. I think it's a lot of fans not really getting up for it because these aren't superstar-type players like the Michael Jordans. I think we need to see like a John Moran or a Zion Williamson, one of these high-flyer type of guys that are actually on the star level of the NBA players, and maybe that will get players interested in getting back there and the general NBA fans there as well. But I would definitely say, at least in my opinion, the three-point contest with all the stars that were in that event and how lively it was during that period, I think kind of the three-point contest has overtaken the dunk contest as far as the uh, marquee of All-Star Weekend. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think the dunk contest, it's less what the dunk is and more so who's doing the dunking at this point. Because I hear you, we've seen so many different combinations of dunks. It's hard to come up with something that's fresh and new and different. I think at this point, it's more so about star power and who's doing it in the buildup for the event. And you mentioned the energy in the building. There's not going to be buzz with Mac McClung and Jaime Jaquez. You know what I mean? Like, you've mm-hmm. got to get the stars in there like Ja, Zion, some of those guys. Short of that, it's just going to be a shoulder shrug. That's what it's turned into. Yeah, it really has. And I, there was a report from The Athletic earlier today, I believe, I believe it was from Sam Amick of The Athletic, who had some reporting saying that players, like star level players, would be interested if they go like the in-season tournament route, which as far as like paying them more money to do it. So, and that's kind of where I think the NBA players are nowadays. We're not going to do it. We're not interested unless you give us a big bag of money to do so. And that's what I think is kind of wrong with the event nowadays is, most of these star level players think of the All-Star Weekend as a vacation. They don't think of it as a, a marquee showcase event. They're just there to get their All-Star accolades. They're there to get their points in the All-Star game and kind of move on from there and take the extra two days off before they resume games on Thursday. I think to get this where it needs to go, I think Adam Silver needs to kind of get in the office with some of his executives and think, what can we do to get these star level players to get involved in these events and make it more interesting? I think that's kind of the first start of it is getting maybe some money involved. But these guys are multimillionaires. They have hundreds of millions of dollars in bank accounts. So it's a really interesting discussion and one that I really don't have an answer to there because it, just, it feels like the dunk contest is kind of falling on the wayside a little bit, which is disappointing. Yeah, it really is. He's Evan Sidery from Forbes Sports joining us here on The Fan. How about the game last night? Being in the building, what was that like for you? 
I know it was a lot of points and a lot of action in that game, but a lot of media members, including myself, were kind of just like, at what point do we kind of see some competitiveness in this event? I know it's more so it's like an exhibition, a showcase event, but to have 200-plus points scored by the Eastern Conference team, almost 200 points scored from the West, no defense being played, I, I don't know exactly where to go from there. I really like the Elam ending they did a couple of years ago. They had it for about a three- or four-year period without a target score. In 2020, we saw the West and the East really have a couple possessions in the late, late in those games where it was a close game. We saw actually competitive basketball for the last five, six minutes of those events. But last night with the Elam ending not involved anymore, it was just uh, kind of just jogging across the court, kind of just getting your own showcase events in here on each possession. And I do wonder – the All-Star game, too, I know it was a fun event. Indianapolis, they were at, the fans last night were fantastic, Brian. I mean, to have the event there, the Pacers fans be so into it. And booing Damian Lillard when he won the MVP over Tyrese Halliburton was a little <laughs> nice touch there. I think that was well-deserved from, from the Pacers fans. I think Tyrese Halliburton, to be honest, kind of got robbed from the MVP last night in his own building. But I think we had to kind of reformite, reorganize this event a little bit to have some sort of incentives be involved, have some competitive competitiveness be involved a little bit where you kind of got to get this thing going. And even Adam Silver mentioned last night, he did not seem enthused by that at the end of that game when he was announcing the winner of the Eastern Conference, the MVP. He just seemed kind of dejected by the result of it because he's he's been wanting a more competitive event for years now. And it feels like he kind of hit rock bottom once again with that. So I really don't know how you can fix this event whether it be incentivizing guys with money or whatever you got to do. But All-Star Sunday was fun. The energy was great. But the game on the court itself, I think, was kind of just like an exhibition, a jogging contest a little bit. Yeah, it's um, it gets me thinking because I agree with you. I think Adam Silver just sounded embarrassed when he was yeah. announcing Dame, the MVP, where he's, he's almost like apologizing, like, sorry. I don't know what these guys were thinking over here with that performance. It's how he felt uh, coming across. And I get it, but... I mean, do you think the in-season tournament, this is the first year of it, do you think that has anything to do with even less of an effort during All-Star Weekend where it's like Doc said about his Bucks, we had some guys here, we had some guys in Cabo, right? That was the the game against the Grizzlies right before the All-Star break where that's what All-Star Weekend was from – uh, gosh, you name it, Anthony Edwards shooting threes with his left hand <laughs> in the skills competition to the game itself. It's like everybody was in Cabo mentally. Do you do you point at anything to explain why that is? Yeah, I think, like I mentioned, I think a lot of players view this, at least the high-level players, the top tier of these All-Stars, view this as a vacation. They view it more so as you're getting your, your accolades, you're getting your advertisement money in there from corporate sponsors, you're there to sign autographs, you're there to get your pictures in. And you go on the court, you put up your points a little bit, and that's kind of it. I do wonder if we're kind of going the way of the NFL, where the Pro Bowl nowadays has kind of become so low-scale, where it's a flag football game. It kind of felt that way last night, in my opinion, where you see guys not really putting up much effort on either end of the court. Obviously, you get a lot of points in that event. But I do wonder if at this point, maybe you see the NBA kind of adopt an NFL style, where they, they have guys that are alternating out, or they drop out of the event, where they don't really feel interested in playing that game. Maybe you let some alternates get in there a little bit and, and they can put, put up more of an effort. Or if you want to incentivize guys with money a little bit, maybe that's the way to go. But I don't think that's the way it should be in the NBA. Don't, you shouldn't have to incentivize guys financially when they already have so much money in their bank accounts to play even harder in the game for, for those paying a lot of money to be in the building for that game last night. It was a fun event, but I do wonder if we're going to go sort of the NFL type of route here soon where you see guys dropping out. They get their all-star accolades anyways. You let some younger, more hungry guys 
get into the game, put up more of a showcase. Because Tyrese Halliburton last night I think was, was one of the few guys that was actually trying his hardest in that game. Like, he was putting up some highlight plays. He started off so hot in that game, 15 points in the first two minutes of that game. I think he was trying to prove a point last night. Maybe you have more of those Tyrese Halliburton type of players, these young, up-and-coming guys who want to make a bigger name for themselves. I think it might be the way to go here, in my opinion, where maybe the LeBron James, the Kawhi Leonard's of the world drop out. They get their all-star accolades anyways. And let these younger guys and younger generation take over a little bit. I think that might be the best way to go about it. Um, Two-parter, what was the court like being there? And also, what's the one moment that you put at the top of the list the whole All-Star weekend, in your opinion? Yeah, the, the court was cool. I mean, seeing it up close was really cool, the way it was changing back and forth. I think Indianapolis, obviously, the first year they were doing it there. Uh, it was a very cool event to see up close and personal like that. I think the court, at least for All-Star weekend, that's a cool way to go about it, just to have fans interacted, have different features on the court. Jalen Brown and his dunk contest, when he had a dunk, he changed it to the Celtics court. I think yeah. that was a pretty cool moment. So I think stuff like that for All-Star weekend is actually a really cool idea. But I would definitely say the best event, in my opinion, or at least the best moment for me personally, would probably go towards Benedict Master and that Rising Stars game when him and Jade and Ivy had that back and forth a little bit. That was one of the few moments, at least for me, in All-Star Weekend where you felt some real tension, some real beef between some two guys. I don't know if they personally like each other or not. It just seemed like <laughs> Benedict Master and Jade and Ivy were kind of going back and forth a little bit. We saw those guys. Obviously, Jade and Ivy went fifth in the draft, Benedict Master in sixth. I think Benedict Master still holds a little bit of a vengeance over Ivy for going ahead of him there. But that was some competitive basketball. And I also throw in the Tyrese Halliburton moment, too, where he started off the game last night, 15 points in 90 seconds. That was a Tyrese Halliburton showcase event all throughout the weekend. that kind of upped his start a little bit more than we already know here locally in Indianapolis. But I think Tyrese Halliburton really took the bull by the horn this weekend and kind of upped his start even more. Man, I love that you brought up Matherin and Ivy because if that's a regular season game and they're going at it like that, it might have escalated even more. It just felt like with Matherin, he put his face right in Ivy's face. If that's not, it's almost like Ivy's like, I would swing on this guy, but it's the Rising Stars game, so maybe this is not the time or place. But they, you're right, they were going at it. There did seem to be some bad blood there. Yeah, I think Benedict Matherin, at least knowing him over the last couple of years, he holds a huge chip on his shoulder, and he's motivated by even the smallest things. And I think he's mentioned multiple times before where the five guys drafted in front of him, he's going to go really hard against those teams and try to prove a point that he should have been number one pick in the draft. He views himself as a star little player in the NBA already, and he's really done well against Detroit throughout his career so far. And him and Jaden Ivey, I don't know why, but they just don't like each other, it appears on the surface. And that really showed Friday night. And I think it's a little fun rivalry that we're going to see between those two guys on the board. Okay, so looking at the second half of the season after the All-Star break, we'll start with the Pacers. Like, where they are in the standings right now, they're sixth. Of course, the Sixers with Embiid being banged up. Can you see the Pacers making up some ground and at least getting into the top five, maybe the top four when the regular season ends? Yeah, it's going to be tough sledding a little bit. I know the Pacers have an easier schedule, but they have to make up some ground to get at least home court advantage there in that top four seeds. So I would predict that they probably end up in the five or six range, which is totally okay. I think that sets up really well, at least if you're talking about from a national standpoint. It's very likely we might see Bucks versus Pacers in the first round. That has a lot of a lot of cinema behind it. We know the rivalry between Milwaukee and, and Indiana so far this year. There's bad blow between those two teams. and. 
I'd probably project it's going to go that way, where we have the Bucks as a three seed, and we see the Pacers as a six seed there. And the Pacers have the Bucks number all throughout this year. They won five out of six games against them. And I think the Pacers are really hoping that they get Milwaukee in the first round. I think Milwaukee on the other side of the table is hoping they do not get the Pacers because they have not seen Pascal Siakam yet in that matchup. And I think Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton the more chemistry they get together on the court, we haven't seen Halliburton off his minutes restriction just yet with Pascal Siakam. I imagine that will change starting on Thursday against Detroit. If those two guys can get going offensively, if they can get that chemistry going, this could be a team that a lot, a lot of Eastern Conference contenders are not going to want to see in the first round and beyond. I think this Pacers team could really make some noise here. So I'll say they get five or six seed. I think for Indiana personally, they probably would love to see Milwaukee in that first round. I think the Bucks, on the other hand, are hoping that doesn't happen. He's Evan Sidery from Forbes Sports. You get my mind working here where the Pacers are in that that area where they might face the Cavs, the Bucks, maybe the Knicks in the playoffs. So of those three teams, Cavs, Bucks, Knicks, who would the Pacers most want to see? Who would they least like to see? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of general NBA fans might say you want to avoid the Austin and Cooper and this Bucks team, but the way they played since Doc Rivers has joined as head coach, they're 3-7 and seven in their first 10 games with Doc Rivers. I think they made a mistake letting go of Adrian Griffin. I know that he didn't really connect with those players there, but Doc Rivers has not really been a great coach in the NBA, in my personal opinion. He's kind of been helped out a lot by the star players he's helped coach over the years, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett in Boston, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in Los Angeles, and so forth with Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. I think it hasn't gone well because I don't think Doc Rivers personally is that good of a coach. And I think in a playoff series, you might see Rick Carlisle kind of coach circles around him a little bit. So I really love the, the matchup of a very motivated Pacers team against their new rival, really newfound rival in the Milwaukee Bucks. So I would definitely say between those three teams, I would lean more towards the Bucks pretty heavily in that instance. And I think avoiding a team like Cleveland, who's really caught fire lately. I know they're a division rival as well, but they – they won 15 out of the last 17 games entering the All-Star break. Donovan Mitchell's really found a groove. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, that's a dynamic defensive front court there. But I think it gives Miles Turner and Pascal Siakam some problems in the offensive end. So between those three teams, I would definitely say the Bucks are the team I want the most for the Pacers, and I'd probably say the least amount. I would say the Cavaliers, just simply based off their defense. I think they're going to really get the Pacers some trouble if they play in the first round. Man, it's crazy. I'm still trying to figure out what the Bucks are doing, where Adrian Griffin – he doesn't last an entire season. He gets canned. They bring in Doc Rivers. I hear, hear you. They're three and seven with Doc. Meanwhile, they fired Budenholzer, who won seventy percent of his games, won a title, got kicked to the curb because Giannis misses two and a half games in a first round upset against Miami. They'd be better off with Bud right now instead of what they've got going on. It's crazy what's going on over there. Yeah, Milwaukee's really been in turmoil, I, this, which is really surprising. Because I thought when they traded for Damian Lillard, I thought that was a fantastic home run deal. They didn't give up much in that trade. I know Drew Holiday is a great defensive player, but he's really past his prime as far as offense goes. But missing a player like Drew Holiday, you're seeing Brooke Lopez as well in his mid-30s, taking a big step back this year as far as performance goes on the defensive end. There's not a lot of depth in Milwaukee either, which is kind of the scary part for the Bucks, where they have Lillard, they have Giannis. But outside of that, what really do they have? except Chris Middleton, who's kind of really shown his age a little bit too lately over the last couple of months. They're a team to me where I'd watch up the next couple of years and see what they're doing. But with Milwaukee, lack of depth, I think they got a coaching downgrade from Mike Boonholzer to Docker. It was pretty, pretty significant, in my opinion. And you have the lack of depth on the board there. And you don't have a lot, a lot of wiggle room as far as finances go. You have Giannis and Damian Lillard on Supermax contracts, which kind of restricts you pretty much a lot moving forward here. 
So the Bucks are going to be a team to watch out for the next couple of years, in my opinion, where they might be a team that blows it up down the road, even though they just trade all these chips for Damian Lillard. So I think the Pacers are a team where if they're hoping for one series and one team they want to see, whether it's a six or a five seed, I think Milwaukee, I think they're a team where you could really see the Pacers go out there and win in five or six games and really kind of take it to them a little bit. I think they're the team right for the taking if you're Indiana. But last one for you. It's obvious what the Bucks aren't doing defensively, but, man, you can say the same thing about the Pacers. Mm-hmm. When the playoffs roll around, do you trust that they can do enough? We're not expecting anything close to lockdown defense, but are they capable of doing enough defensively to give them a chance to win a first-round series? Personally, Brian, I think they have. They've improved just a little bit. And this is what I've been talking about with JMV throughout the season, where they have such an elite historical offense where they're already in the top five, really top one in a lot of categories, where you have Tyrese Halliburton running the show, you have Pascal Siakam, an all-NBA level player thrown in the mix now, and all this good young talent. If you're at least a top 20 defense, which the Pacers have kind of been since Siakam's been on board, I think they're 21st or 22nd in a lot of metrics there, you're going to have a fighting chance in a lot of series, as long as your offense really stays afloat and keeps it at an elite level throughout those series in the postseason. I trust Tyrese Halliburton to keep that going for him. So, I think they've really taken the right steps here. I think Miles Turner has done well next to Pascal Siakam, but I'm really intrigued to see Pascal Siakam at a lot as a small ball five. And we're seeing more and more of that throughout the last couple of weeks heading into the All-Star break. Siakam's really thriving in that small ball five role. So if you see teams try to run the pace off the floor a little bit, and let's say they try to play really small and take Miles Turner out of the game, I think Pascal Siakam could really do well with Tyree Talbert as that small ball five and you have a lot of defense surrounding those guys. So I'm really intrigued by the lineup potential and lineup combinations that the Pacers put together here a little bit. I think Siakam at the five might be something we see more and more of as we go closer to the playoffs. Well, hey, Evan, good hanging with you, man. Thanks for sp- spending some time here, and uh, hope you have a great day, and hope that um, <laughs> I hope uh, the rest of the week is more exciting than the game was last night while you were in attendance. How about that? Oh, I appreciate it, Brian. Anytime, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. There he is. Evan Sidery covers the NBA for Forbes Sports. Joining us here on The Fan.